Well, hey, I'm Pastor Ted. I'm one of the pastors here at Reliance Church, and today we're going to continue in our study through 2 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles, you can open there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're going to be picking it up in verse uh, 6 today. And you know, as we get into it, uh, the topic today of the text is really about being careful of the company that we keep. If you've been with us, you know that we've been going on, going through uh, both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians as the Apostle Paul is directing the church there. And we, uh, we, we left off looking at four ways that uh, Paul instructs this church and God through the word instructing us, four ways that we are to receive and respond to the truth. Paul says we are to believe the truth, he says we're to guard the truth. He says we're to practice the truth. And he says we are to share the truth. And the phrasing in verse 4 is written both in the present tense and also in the future tense as Paul tells these Thessalonians that he's confident that they will be obedient to the truth both in the present and in the future. Uh, he tells them basically that he's confident uh, that uh, you do, he says, and will do the things we command you. Uh, I'm confident that you will do, present tense. I'm confident that you will do, future tense, the things that we command you. And the reason that Paul phrases it this way is because here now in verse 6, he has another command that he's going to give them. So the idea is, hey, I'm confident that you do all the things I've told you to do, and hey, I'm going to tell you some new stuff to do, and I'm confident that you're going to do that as well. And um, the, the, the command that we're going to pick up on here is the command to separate themselves from bad influencers. Verse 6, he says, But we command you, strong language, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking to brothers. He's talking to people within the church. I command you within, uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is, that you withdraw from every brother. So again, he's talking to those people who are calling themselves Christians, those that are members of their church. And he says, I'm commanding you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw from every brother who does what? Who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. And so the idea here is, look, there's some bad influencers in your midst and you need to withdraw yourself from those bad influencers. Now we're going to unpack that, but you know, all of us can think about and uh, call to mind bad influencers that have been a part of our life from time to time. I remember several years ago, my family uh, was called to go to a housewarming uh, party. Um, it was for some uh, former neighbors. They used to live across the street from my mom and dad. And when we were growing up, uh, we were friends with the family and, and all. And they had they'd bought a new house, they'd remodeled it, they invited us over to their house, and we were there. And in the, the, the occasion of just spending time together and, and all, we were reminiscing on all of the shenanigans that, that me and their boys used to be involved in. Uh, and, you know, we, we were talking, you know, we used to, I mean, all just kid stuff, right? We would, we would stack our bikes up all on the corner, and we would paint ourselves up with like fake blood and stuff and we would lay out we'd make it look like we had this big bike rack 
and, and people, you know, would come slamming to a, a hall to come running. I remember one little old lady, she, she came running up, like all frightened and, you know, that we had been injured and we thought it was hilarious. She, she wasn't, you know, quite so amused. Uh, we would do things like, you know, hook up uh, a, a mud sock to, to on a on a rope, and and we would wait for cars to come by, and we would throw this mud sock out on you know on the the cars, and they would splatter the car windows, and you know we we thought it was hilarious, you know, water balloons, the throw you know hitting people with water balloons, cars with water balloons, uh, fireworks. We would you know monkey around with fireworks. I remember one time we set the neighbor's garage door on fire with garage uh, with fireworks inadvertently, but it just was an accident that happened. I and mean, we would take our bikes down to the to the local school, and we would l carry them up onto the roof because it was a flat roof, and we would ride our bikes on the roof of of the school. Uh, we'd play in the in the sewers, you know. We'd we'd go all across. We found you know ways that you could go all through the city, under you know under the 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 sewers, which is so crazy. I mean, we could have easily been been killed in in a number of these things. And um, and I say typical boy stuff, but man, I mean, it, it, looking back on it, it was it was some crazy stuff. And as we were going through in this party, reminiscing on all this stuff, uh, my parents and my friends' parents were just aghast at all these things that they had no idea that we had been doing. Uh, and uh, and they were they just could not believe it. They were, you know, my dad especially was in apoplexy, just, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you were doing these kind of things. Um, you know, worried after the fact about all the stuff. And, um, you know, I shared this with, with, uh, with the church uh, before a few years ago. And, and I said, you know, the common denominator in all of those things was my friend, Bobby Hansaker. Right, he was the common denominator. Now, Bobby Hansaker's parents probably said, you know, the common denominator was that Teddy Leavenworth. He was he was the bad influencer, and and I and I suppose we took turns on who was the bad influencer. But man, I think back to all these things, and we were egging each other on, not in a good way. And the point that Paul is making today is that in the church family, that there are much more significant things happening spiritually where you've got a bad influencer who is influencing a Christian, not onto the godly path, but he's influencing the fellow Christians by his, by his steadfast behavior. He's influencing them in a destructive way. And, um, you know, what Paul is saying is, look, you can't tolerate that. That's toxic for the church, and you can't do that. Um, here's why. It's been said that what you believe inevitably, inevitably influences how you behave, and that's certainly true. But the corollary truth to that is that who you befriend inevitably influences how you behave. The Bible says this. The Bible says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. 1 Corinthians 15.33. So the question then becomes... How do we protect ourselves from bad influencers within the church? And how do we influence bad influencers um, for good? And so we're going we're gonna to unpack this as we continue here in the text. So Paul says this, picking it up in context, verse 6, But we command you, brethren, <coughs> in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us, for you yourselves know 
how you ought to follow us for we were not disorderly among you. Paul's saying, look, we set an example for you to follow. And he goes on specifically to say this. He says, um, you yourselves know how you ought to follow us for we were not disorderly among you, nor, verse eight, did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we not might not be a burden to any of you, not uh, because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example, here it is, an example, we were an example to you of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, that if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. He says, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. That's the particular sin that they were involved in. We'll unpack that in a minute. Verse 12, so he says, now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Uh, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. So what Paul says is this. He says that in the Thessalonian church, not everybody was practicing the truth. Most were, but significantly, there were a few bad apples in the bunch. And Paul describes them here as disorderly, and that's a military term in the Greek. It literally means walking out of rank. And the idea is that their behavior didn't line up it didn't line up with and it didn't follow the biblical example that the apostles had set for them. In other words, these people's walk didn't match their talk. And understand, when Paul says that these people are out of line, he's not talking about somebody having, you know, a momentary lapse or having a bad day, which we all have a bad day. He's not talking about people being perfect. He's not talking about, hey, you know, everybody who's, who's you're going to hang out with has to has to do everything absolutely 100% correctly all of the time. Look, you're going to have a bad day. He's not talking about having a bad day. He's not talking about falling into sin and repenting. He's talking about people who are actively and presently out of line with the Bible. Uh, that word walks in verse 6 is very instructive. It's a verb used in the present tense, and what it denotes is a deliberate course of action. So it's not an occasional lapse uh, of conduct. It's not an occasional lapse into sinful behavior that Paul is talking about. He's talking about a decided, persistent practice. And the decided, persistent, sinful practice that's going on here in the Thessalonian church is that you've got idle busybodies. These are people who would not work and they had nothing better to do with their time than to sponge off everybody else and then, to make matters worse, they were gossiping about people because, as it turns out, they've got all kinds of time on their hand. And so they, they want to gossip <laughs> about other people. They want to malign the Apostle Paul. These are no doubt the people that were spreading all of these false rumors about the Apostle Paul and, and uh, spreading false doctrine about, hey, you know, the rapture of the church happened. You guys missed out. Um, and... You know, they're, they're just meddling in other people's business. Now, understand the Bible says that even before the fall, even before mankind's fall into sin, 
a part of God's original creation uh, in all that is good, um, was that labor was supposed to be a part of God's design for man. It was a part of God's design for man. Now, we're all familiar with the curse of Genesis chapter 3, where the Lord says, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so this puts a negative spin on work, and it, and it basically says that, you know, work is going to be sweat and and toil and laborious and all of these things and all of that because of the fall. But listen, even before sin entered into the world in the previous chapter in Genesis, I read to you from Genesis chapter 3, but in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, we read this. We read that the Lord God took the man, took Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden, here it is, to work it and to keep it. That's before sin. That was God's pure Design And the point is, is that God created you and me, created mankind to work and that working is a part of experience, of experiencing fulfillment in your life. If you work and you accomplish a project, you, you don't appreciate the work during it, but afterwards, man, you appreciate it. You know, mowing the lawn's no fun. Watering the lawn after you're all done and taking in all of your hard work, that's satisfying. And that's because that's how God has created you. But listen, in the church of Thessalonica, at least for some, that was not happening. And it created a toxic culture. Uh, look at verse 13. It says, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. See, what this gives us a clue into is, is how their sin was adversely affecting those who weren't in sin. And the attitude was this, that... Um, you know, when, it's, when he says, don't grow weary in doing good, that word weary, it means to be utterly spiritless, and it means to be exhausted. And, and so the idea is this, what was happening was that all of these freeloaders who aren't working and who are copping a bad attitude made all the people who were working resentful, and they basically said, well, why should I work? If they're not going to work, why should I work? And so then the temptation was to take them down a sinful path away from what God had designed for them. Now, we have a current example of this just in our, our, our current culture. Right now, we're, we're dealing with the coronavirus and we're dealing with uh, the, the related economic crisis that's a part of that. And so the government has stepped in and they have put together this stimulus package. And as part of the stimulus package, they're providing federal unemployment insurance for people or federal unemployment benefits for people. So in the past, before this legislation went through, if you found yourself unemployed, you could uh, be eligible for drawing unemployment insurance from the state. Well, that's still in place, but now you get an additional federal benefit on top of it. So you get your state benefit and you get your federal benefit, and that's a wonderful thing. But the problem, and it's been discussed in the news, and I'm sure you've seen it, is that there are some people who make more money or stand to make more money if, if, they, if they leave their jobs and collect federal unemployment and state unemployment. 
And so what happens is you've got a modern example of people who say, well, why should I work? If I could just leave my job uh, and you know find a way to get fired from my job or whatever, I'll make more money not working than I make working. And so let's be clear, by the way, because this brings up all kinds of questions and all. Um, when Paul is calling out people who don't work, he's making a very critical distinction. He says in verse 10, if anyone will not work, that phrase will not work in the Greek, it means to have in mind, it means to intend, it means to will. And so who Paul is addressing, he's, he's, a, he's not addressing people who can't work for some reason. He's addressing people who have decided that they will not work. So it's a, not a matter of circumstance, it's a matter of choice. They have chosen not to work. And that's an important biblical distinction for us right now. I just want to go off on a, on a brief rabbit trail because, you know, in February, which, which seems like forever ago, but it was really just a matter of weeks, in February, our U.S. unemployment rate was at three and a half percent. That's, that's the lowest on record like ever. We had the lowest unemployment that we had seen, you know, for at least from the 1950s, if not way before that. Well, um, in just a matter of weeks, we've seen the unemployment record go from three and a half percent to over like 20 percent. Um, there, there are over 27 million people who are unemployed in our nation right now. So the reality of that is that some of you right now, you, you might find yourselves uh, either currently or in the near future, you might find yourself in a place where you're unemployed. It's not, a, it's not a choice, it's a matter of circumstance for you. Um, and you know, some things that we should all be praying for right now, um, we should be praying, you know, economists have been talking about a V-shaped recovery and the hope that, you know, when people get back to work that hopefully the, the, the unemployment rate will turn around quickly and all, we should be praying for that. And as well as a church, we should be asking the Lord, how can I help? If, I, if I'm gainfully employed, how can I help practically those people who find themselves unemployed? John, the apostle, said this in 1 John chapter 3. He says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or a sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Uh, again, the, the James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote the epistle of James, he said this. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? And it's a rhetorical question because the answer is no. He says, suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and, and you say, uh, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. James says, what good does that do? And so you see, faith by itself isn't enough, he, he concludes. He says, unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and it is useless. And so for those who are unemployed by circumstance, we as a church, we don't turn a blind eye to you. We help you. And it's been, it has blessed my heart. We have already had people who have, have given 
uh, to the church and, and said, hey, listen, you know, is there, are there people that can be helped? Are there people with benevolent needs that, 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 that you know, that the church can, can respond benevolently to? And, uh, and the, man, what a blessing that is. So as a church, we don't turn a blind eye, we help. And in turn, understand if you find yourself unemployed, that is not sinful. If you're unemployed by circumstance, that's not sinful. Here's what's sinful. What's sinful is that, is, is idleness. Idleness. If you choose not to work or if you find yourself unemployed and you're idle in the midst of that, that also can become sin. And so if you find yourself unemployed, listen, your job is to look for and to be willing to take a job and work. And in the meantime, listen, if you're unemployed, you serve where you can. You serve where you can. You know, understand, hey, I'm looking for a job and I'm doing everything I can to do to find a job. That's great. That's the first thing you do. And then the second thing you do is you help wherever you can. You engage yourself in productive work, whether that's at home and amongst your family and, and working there, uh, whether it's working in, uh, in an appropriate way in the climate and environment that we're in to, to help your neighborhood or your neighbors or your friends, um, you know, ways that you can serve the Lord during this time. There are ways that we can be productive and not idle. And so that is, is definitely um, critically important. And, and, you know, the idea here is, hey, I'm not going to work. This is the, the attitude of some of the Thessalonian church. I, I'm not going to work. I have no intention to work. And uh, I'm just going to sponge off everybody else. And then I'm going to use all my free time to meddle in other people's business and to be critical and criticize and gossip and, and just basically tear people down and, and create a toxic climate. And so that's what Paul is talking about. And he's saying, look, that's not healthy. And when they make that determination, you need to back away from them. Now, there's a broader application for us as we consider this. If you have people in your life, and, and we're talking about believers here, if there's people in your life who, who have made a deliberate choice uh, to walk in sin in some way, not an occasional lapse in sin, but a persistent practice of ignoring a righteous path, well, the Bible says here in verse 6, you are to withdraw from them. And that word withdraw, it literally means to remove and it means to depart. And if that's not clear enough, Paul himself, Paul repeats himself. Look at verse 14. He says, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. And so this is the attitude. This is the idea. And the Bible repeats this directive. Uh, in, uh, in Romans 16, verse 17. Here's what it says. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Tell us the exact same thing. And not only is this very clear in Scripture, listen, it's also very firm. Notice again in verse 6, Paul says, we command you, and then he says, we command you in the name of our Lord Jesus. So, so very strong terms here. I'm giving you a command. I'm reminding you that Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord of your life. That means that you are to submit to his will. And so Paul is saying, listen, you have a command to submit to the will of God. And if you've got somebody in your midst that's functioning in a decidedly sinful way, you've got to remove yourself from them. Why so firm? Listen, because this is toxic to your faith. 
It's toxic to your faith. That's the idea. Now, this begs the question, what about Christian love? What about Christian love? And maybe you hear this and you're going, wow, you know, that sounds pretty harsh. You know, do I just cut somebody off like that? Is that the loving thing to do? That doesn't sound loving to me, Pastor Ted. That, you know, to just write somebody off like that. Well, to begin with, let me answer that. Um, if you were with us when we went through Paul's first letter to them, 1 Thessalonians, um, that wasn't where Paul began this discipline process with these, with these people in Thessalonica. He, he said to them, and I'll remind you this way, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. And that word unruly, it, it means careless and out of line. And it's the exact same word that Paul uses here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Um, and so what, what, again, the idea is applied to a soldier who wouldn't keep rank, but who insisted on marching his own way. This could be, you know, a brother or sister who's living a compartmentalized life. I'm a Christian in this area, but I'm not a Christian in this area. Uh, it could be somebody who's undermining biblical teaching. It could be somebody who's stirring up gossip and division uh, on a on a intentional, consistent basis within the church. It could be somebody who's not taking direction, uh, biblical direction and correction. And so how do we handle that? Paul says the first step is you warn them. And that word warn, it simply means to put into mind. In other words, it's not a threat, it's a reminder. It's a reminder. The idea is that we're correcting the person first, the brother or sister in Christ who's, who's in sin. We're, we're going to correct them according to the word of God. And this would include all of the biblical steps that we read in Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 8, Galatians chapter 6. Um, all, of, all of these sections of Scripture talk about how we are to, to warn a brother, how we are to rebuke a brother, how we are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's only after you have tried all of those things unsuccessfully and the person continues to make this active choice to continue walking actively, persistently, out of line with the Bible, a deliberate course of action. It's only after that that you then withdraw and separate yourselves from them. But even then, listen, I want you to notice that this has a motive of love behind it. Even the act of separating yourself from a brother or sister who's committed to, to a sinful path, the act of separating yourself from them is in fact loving. It's loving. I want you to notice the love that's embodied here in the command. Paul says in verses 14 and 15, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not co keep company with him. Here it is, that he may be ashamed Yet, verse 15, do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And so the motive in separating yourself from them isn't to say, hey, you're dead to me. It's, to, it's that, hey, they might be ashamed when you say, look, I can't, I, we can't hang out together anymore. Because, because every time I come over to your house, you know, you're, you're, you're pulling beers out of the refrigerator and you're getting drunk. 
uh, or you know, I, I, we've talked about you know this certain behavior that that you know you're you're living you know with your girlfriend and and you know we've talked about how that's that's not biblical. You know you're supposed to flee your your youthful lusts and you know you're 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 supposed to abstain from sexual immorality and you're. You're not supposed to be engaged in fornication and you, you know, you've got this relationship and we've talked about it. Dude, you call yourself a Christian and this is how you continue to live and, and you just are thumbing your nose at the Lord in this area of your life. And so, look, we can't hang out anymore, man, because you, you, you're not taking your walk seriously, right? And, and the idea, listen, it's not, it's not to shame them in order to beat them down. Listen, the idea is that shaming them in this way will inspire them to repent. That's, that's the word he used in verse 14. Listen, don't keep company with them that he may be ashamed, right? And, and so the attitude, the idea is, look, dude, uh, you need to take a good long look in the mirror and you should be ashamed at what you're doing. And so that's the goal. And, and the goal is that 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 being ashamed of, of their actions will cause them to repent. Now, Paul gave a very similar uh, counsel and course of action to the church in Corinth. There in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he addresses this issue. There's this guy, and he's engaged in sinful activity, and, uh, and he, he happens to be involved in an inappropriate relationship. And Paul is rebuking the church of Corinth, and because basically he says, look, you guys are all prideful about this. You know, you, you know, oh, look how loving we are. Look how tolerant we are. And, and he says, you shouldn't be prideful about this. You should have mourned about this. And, and he basically says uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5, you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan. Wow, that's harsh, Paul. No, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day that the Lord returns. Listen, Christians have two, two options where sin is concerned. One is repentance, the other is discipline. And if you repent, listen, in the body of Christ, there's love, there's support, there's grace, there's mercy. The church doesn't push you away, the church draws you close. We're gonna walk with you, we're gonna encourage you, uh, we're gonna acknowledge, look, we're all sinners. And, and there's gonna be love and there's going to be that help to get you back on track. But listen, if you're unrepentant and there's no intention on your part to repent from this, this course of action, then the, the issue is it's time for discipline. It's time for discipline. And the handing over to Satan is this. Look, you don't get the privilege to be in the church and have Christians love you in, in community uh, and, and all that that implies. We're not gonna support, we're not gonna nurture you in that sinful course of action in your life because you're, you're living an unrepentant, habitual life of sin in this particular area. And listen, outside the church, you can run with Satan all you want, but the hope is that eventually you're gonna come to repentance. That, that turning somebody over to live like that, they're gonna be like the prodigal son where they wake up one day and say, I'm in the pig pen and I need to go back to my father's house. This is what we're hoping for. And so we want a person in, that, in, in your life, in your circle of influence to come to the place where they say, man, I miss the church. I miss my friends. I, I miss the loving community that I have within the body of Christ. I miss the support that I have. And I realize that I'm missing it 
because I've sinned. You see, there, there's that ownership. Man, I need to repent. I need to come back. Um, that's our hope and that's our prayer. It's not to destroy the person. It's to destroy their desire for sin. That's the motive. And that they can come back humble and ready to walk with the Lord. And that's why, listen, Paul immediately follows this exhortation in verse 15, reaffirming, hey, look, don't treat him like an enemy. He's not your enemy. He's your brother. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Even if you have to withdraw yourself, he's your brother, and, and this is our motivation. So wrapping all this up, listen, as we close, number one, maybe today you realize that you have some bad company in your life. Somebody who calls himself a brother or sister in Christ, but who is living a compartmentalized life and has an unrepentant area of sin in their life. And then there's been the whole biblical practice of going to them, of exhorting them, of calling them on their sin. And they have just made the, the determination, I don't care. This is what I'm going to do. Listen, if you've got somebody like that in your life, I, I, would, I would ask you this week to really take a prayerful walk of, hey, have I done everything biblically? that I need to do to go to this person, to call them on their sin? And is it time for me to, to turn them over to Satan and to remove myself from fellowship from their life and make it clear to them that that's why you're doing that? Maybe that's for you today. Maybe today <clears throat> you recognize that you are the bad company. Maybe in hearing this message, and I pray that you take a walk with it this week, that you might have this, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, man, I've got this area of unrepentant sin in my life. I call myself a Christian, and I'm really setting a bad example for my brothers and sisters in Christ. If that's you, today I would call you, look, it doesn't have to get to this point. Repent, repent. Listen, it's been said no matter how far you walk away from the Lord, that he's only one step away. And that one step is turning and repenting. The moment you turn, the moment you repent, the Bible says if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.